0: Welcome
1: to the Captain's Table. Welcome to the Captain's Table, where we have intimate chats with those that have shaped Star Trek in words. My name's Michael. And today we have a special show for you. We're really pleased to welcome back to the captain's table, author Michael Jan Freeman. Hi, Mike. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm really good, thanks. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. You're always welcome. So it's really great to have you back. And for the listeners, we're here to talk about a new Kickstarter project you've got, and, and that's Pangea. But before we do that, we thought we'd just have a little catch up about some other projects and, of course, have a little chat about Star Trek.
0: Sure. That sounds great.
1: Now, for those who don't know anything about you, uh, Michael, can you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please?
0: Uh, Sure. Um, I've written 72 books, the vast majority of them for uh, major publishers here in the United States. I've also written uh, comic books, nearly 200 comic books, and collaborated on an on a uh, an episode of Star Trek Voyager and uh, you know uh, done different kinds of writing in different kinds of fields. Some of the work I've done is uh, for instance celebrity bios. I'm sure you know Hulk Hogan the wrestler uh, over there and um and so on. So I've I've done a lot of different kinds of writing. But uh, a lot of it has been Star Trek and, and a lot of it has been science fiction and
1: fantasy. I think I say this on every podcast, but I, I don't mind saying it is that I, I got some of your work through the comics and your run on TNG for DC Comics was just incredible. There were some fantastic stories there. So those those were brilliant comics. And I still have all of those. They're like tre- treasured possessions for me so wow. um there's some great comics. So. so apart from um star trek comics though you also did other titles as well you know i dabbled here and there i did a little flash a little batman
0: um a little superman little fantastic four very you know very little but i also did a uh 39 issue series called dark stars which uh, which was of my own invention I uh, created it with a, a, an artist named Larry Stroman. Dark Stars was uh, Dark Stars was interesting. It was a it was the outgrowth of a birthday lunch. I was at DC Comics to be taken out to lunch by Bob Greenberger, uh, who was my editor at the time on on the Star Trek comics, and also a guy named Brian Augustin, uh, who's a friend of mine who who edited the Flash comics. I was also there to pitch some ideas to a couple of other editors, and, and the two ideas I was pitching, one was for a Green Lantern uh, story, and uh, the other was for a Martian Manhunter story. These are both DC superheroes. And uh, the guy the guy I was pitching to, just he just wasn't receptive that day. He had other things on his mind, and it was sort of a disappointing experience. So when we went to lunch, they said to me, well, you know, what if you were to create your own superhero? What would that be like? And I said, well, I, I love Green Lantern. I love the Martian Manhunter. I'd, I'd put them together. And, and so Dark Stars was really that. It was a combination of Green Lantern and the Martian Manhunter. Green Lantern being uh, part of an organization that empowers him to protect a certain region in space. And uh, the Martian Manhunter being a, an alien on Earth. And so when I put them together, I got Dark Stars and um, Dark Star, uh, who is the title character. And um, there were, of course, other Dark Stars the way there are other Green Lanterns. And it was sort of an alternative organization. It was much grimmer and grittier uh, than the Green Lanterns and had had much more of an agenda. The Dark Stars were controlled, were uh, controlled, were um Yeah, controlled by a group called the Controllers, (laughs) as a matter of fact. And uh, these were sort of distant cousins of the Guardians that had empowered the Green Lantern. I hadn't made them up. They were in DC Continuity. And, um, and so the Dark Stars were a different kind of organization, and we had them butting heads with the Green Lanterns and so on. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and, you know, it's funny, comics are read on a monthly basis. So, you know, they're sort of, uh, judged that way. But, but I think really the best, the best way to read a comic series is all in one sitting, you know, to sit down. And, 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 and I actually did that. I, over the course of a couple of days when the series, was finally canceled i sat down and read them all over a couple of days and you know i was very pleased with the with the results the way you might you might take a tv series and watch every episode in the course of a of a weekend uh i, I did that with the comics and the comics i think comics should be read that way that's that's uh maybe not a practical way but a, but a certainly a more valid way
1: yeah, my my co-host on The Holodeck, which is a Star Trek comic podcast, what she likes to do is if it's a three or five part story, she'll wait to read all five parts together where, you know, I, as soon as the comic drops, I'll read it and put some faults down. But Bunny likes to, to read it all together. And, and there's certainly a lot more um, benefits to doing that way, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, because from month to month, you might forget some nuance of it that that that's really entertaining
1: if you read them consecutively moving away from comics for a moment let's let's talk briefly about star trek before we we talk about um pangea now obviously we've had discussion we've had discussions about star trek and into darkness on previous shows and they're starting to put the story together for star trek 3 now and it's been revealed that simon Pegg is going to be helping with the script i was just wondering what your thoughts are on the subject
0: well you know, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know I, I haven't never seen his work before, so I don't know if that'll be a benefit. I, I certainly hope so. I'm hopeful. but uh, but I really I really don't know. I, I enjoy his acting and and there is a uh, uh, you know if you're a good actor, there's reason to believe you might be a good screenwriter, but we we don't really know. I'm not, I have to I have to say I'm not a big fan of the first two movies, uh, particularly the second one. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we could spend several shows talking about uh, the plot holes and and the, the the inadequacies from my point of view. Uh, you know, to me, the second one was just sort of pandering to you know what Star Trek fans wanted to see and not really putting a movie out there that's that was um, that could stand on its own or that I can't even begin to tell you there were so many. <laughs> So many problems. I mean, you know, one is that Kirk is 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 going through the same arc in the second one that he went through in this in the first one. It's as if he's starting all over again. And, you know, we had just seen this in the last movie. I don't know. I I, I didn't really I didn't really love it. So hopefully Simon Pegg will improve it. Or or, or as they told me uh, when I got the assignment for the to novelize the Batman and Robin movie with George Clooney, you know, as they told me. Having seen uh, uh, the rushes, uh, they said uh, you can't help but improve it. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> yeah, that was a dreadful film. <laughs> so you know, listen, I I, I wish him luck and, and and I'm hopeful.
1: What are you hoping for from the from the the next film? Oh my God, I'm hoping it's not like the first. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think um you know I'd
0: like to see I, I'd like to see an absorbing plot. We've kind of the, the first two have, you know, it was their it was their creative choice to kind of rehash what we've seen, kind of put it together in a little different way. I'd like to see something that deals with an original threat rather than one that's kind of be, been been rehashed and, uh, uh, you know, a science fiction story that can stand on its own. To me, that would be, you know, if he if he has to continue with the continuity that's been established. And of course, he does. Then. I think the best thing he could do would be to come up with an original story. I, I have a feeling that won't happen. I think he'll be he'll have the challenge of having to rehash some other aspect of Star Trek continuity. You know, you look at at what uh, the comic companies are doing, DC in particular, taking what they have and remixing it. I think if you do it, you know, for a month or something, it's an interesting stunt. But to kind of remix what you have, don't I don't see the virtue of it. I, I really don't. If what you have is good, then continue it. You know, if I were to um, work on a Star Trek um, uh, TV show or or a series of movies going forward, I would pick up from where we left off and go from there. You know, I, I wouldn't. Uh, it's it's about boldly going where no man has gone before, not
1: boldly rehashing what other men have done previously. Yeah, quite right too. Well, fingers crossed for that, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I wish them luck.
1: Last time you were on, you were talking to us about the Lost Days Kickstarter. So before we talk about Pangaea, can you give us an update on Lost Days and how that's going?
0: Sure, sure. I'm about 90% finished with that. It's going a little bit slower than than uh, I thought it would. Um, I thought uh, perhaps I could deliver it by the end of February. It's a little bit slower because of the research that goes into it. You know, it's not just a matter of, um, finding something, you know, this takes place for the most part uh, during the Italian Renaissance in Italy. And in order to make that, it, it's not just a matter of even of making it authentic. It's, it, you know, and, and, and doing a little information dump every now and then to let the readers know that, that, you know, where he is and when he is. It's also integral to what, what's happening. You know, at one point he's, dealing with a plague of basilisks and he's approaching it in in a in a kind of logical way and he says well you know it's sort of like the scientific method and his friends there who were 16th century italians look at him like the what the what the scientific method hadn't really become popular as a phrase um until after that so had i not known that it would not have rung true so so i really have to steep myself in this material and uh, in order to be as as um expert as possible and and and, and that informs the uh the, the story so it takes a little longer than than another you know than than one of my other books might i think it's an exciting story um just to recap it's about the 10 days that were eliminated by pope gregory when he instituted the new calendar in 1582 uh the calendar that we we in the western world go by now he he corrected the problem, uh, which had dragged the calendar out of whack. But in order to uh, to get a fresh start, he had to eliminate 10 days as a fantasy writer. I'm thinking, well, what happened in those 10 days that made them need to be eliminated? And uh, and so it's about that. It's about what happened in the, the horrific thing that happened in those 10 days and how this 21st century kid has to address it anyway it's um as i say it's about 90 percent finished i'm happy with what i've got so far i thank everybody who supported that kickstarter i think I, I i sent out one of our stretch goals recently which was a uh novella based on my um aslan series which is uh, all, uh an interesting topic all by itself it's a uh the adventures of a noir detective in a 21st century aztec empire so that's that's an interesting world unto itself but um anyway so that's where we are with uh, the lost days
1: oh that's great can't wait to to read that so let's move on to pangea this is a, a new kickstarter that's launched recently can you tell the listeners what what this is all about please um i was doing some research on
0: something else and i and and you know doing research you know, at at the outset is just a wonderful thing. You know, you're 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 going, wow! I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And uh, and sure enough, I came across uh, some uh, some interesting uh, material on Pangaea. Pangaea is the the one of the supercontinents that's formed over Earth's uh, prehistoric past. Uh, there've actually been four of them, uh, as far as we can tell. And uh, uh, these supercontinents are formed when the continents drift together. The guy who came up with this idea was almost 100 years ago, uh, this guy Alfred Wegener. I've, I've actually pronounced his name Wegener, which I apologize for in the past, but, but his name is Wegener. He was a student of climate and geology, and um, he came up with this idea that the continents had not always been separate, that they had at one time been a supercontinent. And people ridiculed him and, and tried to discredit him. But sure enough, subsequent scholarship showed that the continents do drift on these tectonic plates. And um, right now we're in a, a period of, of, of such drift. But it happens so slowly, of course, that, you know, it's I don't know, an inch a year or something like that. You wouldn't notice it. But over the course of hundreds of thousands and millions of years, these the continents do move. So, as I say, there have been supercontinents, and the one that Wegner named was Pangaea, which which really means all land. And, uh, and I said, well, Pangea, that's interesting. Pangaea broke up long before mankind started to develop. So, we've never known a situation where we were all one continent or anything close to it. And so, mankind developed in different places, in different ways, and at different rates which among other things uh, encouraged the development of transoceanic travel the means of doing that and um allowed for such things as imperialism because you had disparate uh, levels of uh civilization and technology and so uh, so you know it, it the fact that we were on separate continents shaped our world well imagine if we had always been on one continent you know if our entire history had taken place in a period of uh, tectonic stability well, then we would be a different species. For one thing, just to just name one, one interesting wrinkle, the Neanderthal may have survived. Now, many people throughout the world have Neanderthal genes. Uh, you and I do, I'm sure somewhere between one and 4%. And among other things, these uh, help us with our immune systems. Uh, the Neanderthal were known for having very good immune systems. Um, it doesn't help us with things like running fast. Because that was not their forte. And so they died out as a, as a distinct race because, because they were unable to compete with the Cro-Magnon. However, um, in a Pangea kind of setup where land, all the land was contiguous, they may have been able to retreat somewhere and survive as a, as a distinct race, which is what happens in our, in our Pangea. So you have a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities. There is no imperialism because because the land is all contiguous, there is no backward culture that can be conquered and exploited. There's um, a mix of peoples, particularly at the level of the inland coast. Uh, picture a sea, a letter C, and the inside of the sea is a coast. And there's an inland sea, S.E.A., inland body of water. And the sea is open. To the ocean, but really, there's no oceanic travel because there's nowhere to go. Uh, the outer coast is very rocky and and inhabitable, uninhabitable. So all that maritime traffic takes place on the inside of the sea, uh, the letter C. There's there's an o. There's one huge ocean, but there's nowhere to go in it, so nobody goes on that ocean. It's it's a very different world and the uh because people are so proximate to each other there's a lot of old conflicts and schisms that that uh make this a very kind of complex and interesting society it's not one society it's it's one continent but it could be uh, you know i don't know 150 different nations on this one continent all each with its own culture that's a little different from any other
1: that oh, sounds really exciting.
0: Yeah, and and you know it's it's you know I I sort of stumbled on it, but it's original. I, I looked around and there's there's just no one who's really taken this approach. You know what would civilization be like in the 21st century if we lived on a supercontinent?
1: I, I think it's really interesting because with Lost Days you went back to the Italian Renaissance, and here again you've been doing some research and 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 you've seen. About um, these supercontinents, and and you, you'd be grabbing these great stories from the past, where everyone else at the moment seems to be looking towards the future. And and are you enjoying that that part of writing at the moment by going back and and bringing stories from the past? I am. I am. I like you know
0: even in my Star Trek work. If you look at Star Trek as a history, I like shining lights on obscure corners. You know, like, you know, well, we've never t- we've talked about this main idea, but never this little idea over here in the corner. And, yeah, I really do. I really do like um, uh, exploring those unexplored corners. And, uh, and and, you know, history offers, you know, so many of them, but 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 many of them have been have been done and in some cases done to death. And this is I guess this is also true of my my Aztec 21st century Aztec Empire books. I don't think I'd ever come across anyone who wrote about the possibilities had Cortes not conquered the Aztecs.
1: I I can tell you as we're talking, uh, I can I can see the excitement on your face as you're talking about Pangaea. So it's 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 infectious. Now, you've actually managed to pull together for Pangaea. an absolute brilliant writing team with some great connections to Star Trek as well. So, could you tell us about the writing team and how you managed to get together all these wonderful writers? Well, you know, there was a lot of arm twisting. It's uh, what could I
0: say? It's been described as a murderer's row <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, of writers, and uh, it, it's it's an all star team, I guess, is what it really is. Uh, I you know I in in uh, my Pangea uh, uh in my write up for the Kickstarter I described them as some of the most respected writers in science fiction and fantasy today and they certainly are that. Uh we have our our uh, crazy eight press group um which is uh is made up of um uh, Russ Shamiro and Peter David who who will be very familiar to Star Trek Readers and um, uh, Bob Greenberger, uh, Glenn Howman, Paul Kupperberg. Paul is is the guy who killed Archie. Are you guys you guys over there on top of that that uh, Archie Archie Andrews the, the the comic character was actually uh, murdered in a, in a in a landmark comic recently and Paul's the guy who did it. So send him lots and lots of hate mail. <laughs> um, and uh, Aaron Rosenberg, one of our crazy eight press guys. Um, and so uh, so we started with that group, but we saw an opportunity to include a lot of very very uh well respected highly decorated writers uh we have Michael A Burstein who um who's unfortunately snowed in in Boston he's up to his his eyebrows in snow but uh he's a a perennial uh, yugo and nebula nominee uh for his stories and most recently one of his stories which is which which has the wonderful title I remember the future he is uh was turned into a film and the film uh, won an award so that that aspect of his career may be taking off um we have adam troy castro uh, again another another award winner another perennial uh uh, nebula nominee let's see uh peter peter uh, is also an award-winning writer peter david who i mentioned let's see kelly medding is is a very well respected uh fantasy writer uh, Lawrence M. Schoen just recently got his third uh, nomination in a row uh, at the Nebulas. So uh, three years in a row, he's been nom- his stories have been nominated for Nebula Awards. Uh, that's very impressive. He's also uh, Lawrence. You may know Lawrence because he's one of the foremost authorities on the Klingon language. Jeffrey Thorne is primarily a screenwriter. We were very lucky to get him. He's uh, he has done work, Star Trek work uh, in Strange New Worlds, and he wrote a Star Trek novel. But uh, primarily he's been involved with television where he wrote for um, three seasons of Leverage, Ben 10, Ultimate Alien, one of the CSI shows and was just hired on recently to co-produce um, 10 episodes of The Librarian's. Wow. Familiar with, with that show? The, yeah, the I am, of... yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Yes. It's over here now. So uh, he's going to be uh, a riding herd on that show. And and again, we're very lucky to have him. He's, uh, you know, these guys are putting together stories that I really want to read. Uh, also, um, we have uh, um, uh, Dayton Ward and Kevin Dillmore, who you'll know from Star Trek work, from their Star Trek work. And they're going to be participating in this. So we've really got a, 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 a real all-star lineup. It's not just an anthology of people who were lying around. This is a these these are
1: hand-picked um, top drawer writers. Oh, it's a, it's an amazing team, and I know it's early stages at the moment, but um, have you got um, anything in mind for who's going to write what? Yeah, well, you know. We have we have two kinds of stories. Um, one is
0: the we have sort of a backbone, sort of a thread that runs through the anthology, and, and some of the stories will be, will develop that thread. You know, there's a, a, a an incident of sabotage that takes place at the beginning. I think I'll probably write that first story. You know, in this world, all energy is clean energy. It's not because they've anyone's made a conscious decision to only have clean energy. It's just the way things develop. They have so much wind available and so much geothermal and so much uh, hydroelectric that there's really no need for any other kind of energy. So they've never developed uh, coal, for instance. Uh, climate change is not a problem there. No one talks about it because, because there are no, uh, you know, uh, carbon carbon fuels in in the mix. But the ones who control all this energy and set the rates, um, are, it tend to be in the hinterlands, on the plains. And so the coastal cities have sought ways to, uh, free themselves from the economic tyranny of these hinterland, uh, nations. So, uh, one of the things they've done is they've created underwater windmills, if you will. You know, we know about these wind farms that, that are, that are appearing. Uh, they take advantage of, of the winds on the surface of the planet. But in, on Pangaea, they've, they've developed, uh, or they're developing, um, current farms where the underwater currents are powering, are providing the, the energy that's translated into electricity. So it starts off with sabotage, sabotage of one of these current farms. And, um, there's sort of a story that runs through the anthology uh and i i expect uh, I'll, I'll start it off and i have some writers in mind to continue it and give it a sort of a sense of closure by the end but there are also stories that take place that will only have a, a nod to what's going on elsewhere and and are really stories that that develop separately uh from this um and some of the writers are involved in those so uh, there'll be a thread, a main thread, but, but there are stories that'll barely have anything to do with it. But they will, you know, the, the one thing they'll all have in common is that they'll shine a light on what's what's different and, and really alien about Pangaea.
1: When I was doing my research and I was looking at the Kickstarter notes, there's also the Pangea publishing model. It's slightly different to how traditional publishing um, takes place. So can you tell us about that and what the benefits are? in traditional publishing which which was the only publishing really till oh maybe 15 years
0: ago you had writers would write and uh, they would uh, they would sell their work to a publisher and the publisher would give them 10% or less of the retail price and the publisher would take around 40% 40 to 45% to cover costs like rent and and um, employees and so on, various overhead costs, and then also its profit, and then fifty percent would go to the retailer to cover its costs and its profits. So the writer was was really getting a very small fraction uh, of the fruits of his or her labor, and that's just the way it was. The publishing model we're using, which is something that that we've used at Crazy Eight Press, and 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 uh, you know I've seen it in a couple of other places is a much more equitable model for the uh, writer. There is no we're, we're not taking um I, I'm doing this through uh, my company which is called Newsworthy and it's it's my it's my corporate secret identity. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. Um it's just between us and your audience. Yeah. <laughs> There's no publishers cut. The uh there are, are um expenses associated with the uh, Kickstarter, for instance, the production of books. The um, distribution of of the physical books in in those cases, and so there are expenses, but after the expenses, everyone is getting an equal share of what's left. So it's very it's an equitable model, and an, and it's designed to benefit the the writers who are after all putting their you know the ones putting their hard work into this uh, and making it what it is. It eliminates the, um, the middlemen, you know, the publisher, the traditional retailer. And it's not that I have anything against them. <laughs> you know, I, I like people at publishing companies and at book chains, but their sun is dimming. And uh, we had a huge uh, chain go under, uh, you know, borders went under uh, here in the States. And publishing companies are reinventing themselves because they see the day coming when their kind of business will not be around. What we're doing is in part a response to, to events in the real world. We think it's urgent that, uh, you know, that we take steps to maintain our relationship with our readers. Between the writer and the reader is where the magic happens. And that's the relationship we have to preserve at all costs. This sort of publishing model is a step in, in that direction. It's a way of maintaining the relationship between the, the writer and the reader and, and the reader um, the reader gets to, gets to participate in the creation of the book in ways that he or she would not be able, able to in a traditional setup. We have a, a reward system that allows the reader to um, be acknowledged in the book, um, at certain levels to, to actually become a character in the book. Uh, it's called a uh, Tuckerization, where we take the character's name. And since it's a, a different world, uh we'll probably have to do that phonetically but we take that character's name and that backer becomes a character in the in the story and and perhaps an ongoing character if we if we do these anthologies again and again they'll remain a character so um it's a way of becoming an integral part of the the process and the, the and the finished product and uh, it's always a thrill you know, I've, I, it's happened to me once or twice, but it's always a thrill to see yourself in the context of a science fiction story, particularly one that's written by the writers, uh, the caliber of which we've, we've been able to assemble.
1: Now, I have to say, um, all the time I've been interviewing the authors, I, I only know of two who are actually um, full time authors. Every, everyone else I speak to, like yourself, have a day job. <laughs> uh, you know, or, or they're full-time mums and and uh they're being mum during the day and then for like from 10 at night till two in the morning they're they're writing their story and then and then it, a couple of like, a few hours sleep and then it all starts again so i i can see why there, there's this um myth that authors are paid like really large sums but it's not it's not as much
0: well well sometimes it is occasionally it is uh or, or it has been for 20 years, I was strictly a full time author, I was a, strictly a, f- a freelance author. And, and lately, I've taken to um, uh, teaching uh, troubled kids uh, in, a, in a in a minimum security uh, setting. And, um, and I enjoy that. But um, uh, one of one of the things that allows me to do is because you know, it is teaching one of the it's a very hard profession, you know, anybody who's outside it might might not understand that but it's a very difficult profession and uh, but one thing it does allow me to do is have my summers off and uh some teachers use those to to teach as well to you know to get the income but i i like to use my summers to just exclusively to write been a pretty good arrangement um you know i think i think there will be a time in the not too distant future when i'll return to strictly being a writer but uh but for now it's a good uh it's a good sort of uh Tandem.
1: Now, you you mentioned a couple of rewards for the Kickstarter, and and they sound really, really good. Especially to be part of the uh, part of the story. Can you tell us the Kickstarter um, target and what the rewards are, please? Sure. Our initial target is eight thousand dollars.
0: We're more than halfway there, with a little less than halfway, uh, a little less than halfway in terms of time. Um, So we're slightly ahead of the curve. What we offer. You know, is, is done with the philosophy, uh, I think of all successful Kickstarter programs is that this is not a windfall. This is not, we're, we're putting it out there and, and, uh, we, you know, we don't expect people to just be throwing money at it indiscriminately. It, we want to communicate a value. If you, uh, you could start out, the, the lowest reward level is $8. For $8, you get an uh, electronic version. Of the uh, of the book, uh, readable on your Kindle, your your Nook, your mobile device, and a personal thank you from the from the author, uh, which would be difficult to get under any other circumstance. Uh, and then, as things go on, the values get better and better and better. For thirteen dollars, you can not only get um, the uh, Pangea book, which will be a rather large book. But um, you also get because uh, we do have like, you know, like 13 stories in it. Uh, not only that, but you get um, uh, the novellas, the Aslan novellas that I've written about that 21st century Aztec empire. Uh, so so that's a great value. And it gets even better because as we reach our, our stretch goals, every time we reach a stretch goal, everyone who's backed us at any level gets another essentially another e- ebook. And uh, if we reach our, our ultimate goals, um, if even at that $8 level, the backer would get something like 16 different ebooks. So, so we're very much focused on value. We want people to feel like they're getting more as, as a backer of this Kickstarter than they could in, in any alternative situation.
1: For the listeners, if they want to, um, obviously back the project and they want to find out all the rewards, where can they do that?
0: Well, you go to kickstarter.com and there's a little uh, magnifying glass and it says search projects. And uh, when you click on that, uh, the magnifying glass stays up there and you write in Pangea, P-A-N-G-A-E-A. And once you do that, all the projects that have ever had that name come up. And this is the only live one that has that name. It's going to be on the left and you'll see it talks about 14 different uh uh science fiction writers contributing to this uh to this unusual anthology. Um you click on Pangea and um on the right hand side there there'll be a green uh rectangle and it'll say something like back this project. And then when you do that it'll take you through the the few steps you need. Um, uh, you have to give them a credit card and uh, or or uh, something equivalent. And then you can back the project at whatever level you like. We have an add-on schedule um, where you can, um, you know, maybe you want the um $13 reward level. You don't need the physical book, but you'd kind of like to be in the acknowledgements. You'd kind of like to name a street or a one-time passerby or something like that. So we have those options on kind of an a la carte uh, basis because otherwise the permutations uh, of, of the rewards on the right-hand side, we'd have hundreds of them. There's no real easy and intuitive way to do that. So we have uh, our basic rewards on the right, including the Tuckerizations, where you can become a character. Um, and then we have a list of uh, a la carte add-ons. And if you want the add-on, you just click on the uh, reward level, the basic reward level. Pledge, uh, more to include the, uh, the value of the add-on and then write me a little note and say, I'd like this add-on. So it's all, it's, it's really very easy. And, and you know what? I would encourage people to, to do it and to get involved with Kickstarter because this is, this is not the only worthwhile project. There are others and, and, you know, people should be aware of them and, uh, should know that even if they contribute a dollar to a Kickstarter, it's really, helpful and worthwhile and it gets a lot of unusual and interesting and and uh helpful projects off off the ground and of course it's only if the kickstarter funds only if it reaches its goal that you're charged for your contribution um and it's at that time so so if the kickstarter never reaches its goal then your your card is never charged
1: But there's some really, as you say, there's some impressive rewards there. And and as you say, you've really looked at and put a lot of of effort into making sure that everybody gets something for being part of the story, which is absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of work goes into putting together the rewards more than anything in the in the in the preparation of the Pangea site. You know, the rewards were a big part of it. You know, at twenty five dollars, you get a paperback. Trade size paperback with uh with you know uh, of the book um, and uh, you also get a thank you from uh, from one of the authors and the book is signed by at least three of our authors and i that was a conservative number we'll we'll try and get as many to sign it as possible and uh, plus you get a, a an ebook version so so it's really a, a very good deal and that includes uh postage if you're in the United states if you're in uh, elsewhere in the world it's a little more. Uh, that's a very popular, um, reward as is the $13 level. And, uh, but you know, at $100, you can be in, you can be a character in one of the stories, uh, a major character. One thing we haven't mentioned is, is our cover artist, Caio Cacau, who is a very talented, up and coming, uh, Brazilian artist. And he's done some of my, some of my other covers. And, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, enthusiastic and, and and very very good uh and uh, at the highest level you can commission him to create an alternate cover you uh say yeah i kind of like this cover it kind of covers it kind of kind of invites some 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 thought but i'd really like this one c- i wish they had illustrated this one particular scene what that would be great well you can commission kayo to to do that you can have him uh, you could tell him I'd like this scene done and he'll do a one-of-a-kind cover just for you and uh, and you'll get a large size print of it and all the sketches uh, a prints of all the sketches that he did in his computer to come up with it and it you can you can be an art director for for the duration of that process uh, if that's something that, that that yeah and and listen art direction is fun everybody wants to be an art
1: oh that sounds brilliant and for the listeners we're with the show notes we've put some links up to where you can find out about the kickstarter and all the rewards great thank you i appreciate it so finally really there's so much that you can do with these stories as you say um you're not really limited to what you can do because you know as we've been talking i've been thinking oh, the political stories would be interesting there'd Mm -hmm. be population stories about population control possibly and and Mm -hmm. overcrowding and and it's endless really isn't it what the potential of this storyline it's it's as endless as the stories you can do about
0: our earth It, it really is endless and um the one thing we focus on is that it's always about people. These are always stories about people, and they may be familiar to us in some ways because they're human beings as we are um but they're alien to us in other ways uh you know for instance i have just to give you a quick example i have uh, uh, been thinking about a country in uh, a, a city state in uh in pan on pangea where the uh, because of certain historical circumstances, the these two groups, these two main ethnic groups alternate as uh, as um, the uh, the government's in charge of that country. So whereas in England, you need a vote of confidence and you can vote your government in and vote your government out. In this case, every 10 years, the government changes whether it's doing well, whether it's doing poorly. And the other one comes in and they take turns um which is uh, an arrangement i've never actually heard of but but it was one that was inspired by something i had read about and they take that for granted they also have um this neanderthal component in their population that will that will be an interesting you know a source of interesting stories as as well um because um not every country will look at all kinds of human beings as um, as equal
1: and uh, and there will be some interesting uh, social arrangements. Oh, that sounds brilliant! So, hopefully, the Kickstarter will be funded and you can proceed. Um, when would you be hoping to have the anthology finished? Obviously, that did, you know that's based on 14 authors all coming together writing their particular stories, um, right. which which is quite the juggling act I can imagine. But when would you hope to have things done by? It,
0: it is a juggling act. It is. Um, but, uh, I, uh, we're talking about, um, the end of May, you know, we hope to have that done by the end of May, even though it is a juggling act, we're writing at the same time instead of consecutively. So that will be a big, a big help. None of us has to really write more than 30 pages or so. So once, once the writing begins, it should go rather quickly. Then, then comes the editing.
1: I I was going to ask, will you, will you be editing the project?
0: I will. I will. I'll be the I'll be the editor since, you know, since I came up with this this concept. Uh, I'll be editing uh, the stories as well. And, and I guess I'll be it'll be my first time being listed as as the editor of uh, of a science fiction book. So that'll be exciting.
1: For our listeners, Michael, can you tell them how they can find out more about you? Oh, well, I'm on
0: uh, uh, two places. One would be Michael Jan Friedman, all one word, dot net. Uh, that's my website. Um, I'm listed as writer on the run which which I <laughs> I actually do jog around the town so that's that's apt uh, also at crazy8press.com the 8 could be a numeral or or it could be spelled out either way um I'm listed there and you can find out more about crazy8press and our uh you know the the approach to publishing that I described where we we go directly to the uh to the readers with our books and I think we have Uh, Among us, I think we have about 30 books now offered by Crazy 8 Press, our our little independent uh, publishing hub.
1: Well, first of all, uh, can I wish you luck with Pangea? And again, for the listeners, we'll put all the links up where you can find the Kickstarter and and you can find all the information you need to know. But thank you for coming on and telling us about it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate uh, your help in, in getting the word out to the readers.
1: Oh no, it's it's great. And and hopefully um later in the year you'll come back and, and give us an update. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Michael. And I wanna thank Michael Jan Freeman for his time. It was really interesting talking about Pangea. And go take a look, as mentioned in the interview, you can find the links for the Kickstarter on the show notes, and go across to visionarytrek.com as well, where there's a new story from John Taylor all about the project. So that's it for this show. Thanks for joining us. And as always, don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure.
0: been listening to the captain's table.